So you're 15 years old and what do you do? I raised about 300 grand when I was 15 to start buying real estate in North Dakota. Okay. How? (laughs) Welcome to the Action Academy podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Academy Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brian Lubin, and today we have a show for you. You may see the title of this episode and say, oh, okay, this is going to be a little fluffy, right? You may see this and say, okay, I can't relate with that. How is he going to give me anything actionable that I can use today? I will tell you that this episode is one of the most, if not the most, actionable step-by-step breakdown episodes that I have ever done on this show. So you were going to want to listen to Andrew Abernathy from minute one to the very, very end, because this guy is a wealth of knowledge and business building. Andrew started out buying an apartment complex at 15 years old. So this guy was already a millionaire by the time he graduated high school, right? I know. Anyways, this guy was buying a lot of everything. He was buying multifamily, he was buying self-storage, he was buying all this farming stuff. Then one moment changed that changed Andrew's life forever, and that was when a billionaire mentor took him under his wing because he reached out to him through cold email, cold letter, and the guy replied to him three months later. And he said, Andrew, you're good at a lot of stuff, but you're not great at one thing. So Andrew sold everything and went all in on self-storage. Guys, you need to listen to this show today. Every single bit, you're going to want to pause, rewind, take notes. It is phenomenal. If you guys want top tips like this from Andrew and also different business frameworks, different ideas, mindsets, methods, and actionable steps to help you define and design a life of freedom, you need to go into the show description, go into the link, sign up for our newsletter once a week, every Thursday, five minutes. It will help you tremendously. Go sign up below. And also stay tuned tomorrow because I have a freaking episode for you guys because you enjoy listening to my pain while I travel. And as you can hear in my voice, I kind of went through it yesterday. So we have got an episode for you tomorrow. We just landed in Croatia. So this is the first Croatian episode of the Action Academy podcast. And now I believe we are on country four of filming this show. So I will give you guys an update on everything tomorrow and the travels. And till then... I'll just let you guys talk to a future billionaire, Andrew Abernathy. Let's go. Andrew Abernathy. What's up, buddy? Good, good. Appreciate having me on. Man, I'm so pumped to have you on. Let's go ahead and start with an intro of where you are and how this concept is kind of applying in your life, because I'm super interested about everything that you're doing. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, so I grew up in North Dakota. I got involved in real estate pretty young. My family's been in the farming business, so egg land since 1901. So it's in the blood. And 2009 or so, I started diversifying into different real estate and I started raising capital. I, uh, I couldn't afford a lawyer to drop a legit PPM memorandum. So I went and printed off Warren Buffett's 1956 operating agreement was my first one. And I whited the names out and raised <laughs> a few hundred thousand bucks off that when I was like 15. And- oh, wait. What? Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah. So you're 15 years old. And what do you do? I raised about 300 grand when I was 15 to start buying real estate in North Dakota. Okay. How? Yeah. <laughs> Is that legal? <laughs> yeah. That's what I was wondering. So I, I have saved 4,000 bucks up working on the family farm, five bucks an hour when I was like 10 years old to 15 years old, 14 years old, somewhere in there. And I spent, I had six grand, but I spent 2000 on a red go-kart. You can't blame me. Can you? It's pretty young. And uh, so anyways, I put 4,000 in the stock market. And luckily it was when it bottomed. It was March 23rd, my birthday. I think it hit the bottom like March 5th. I turned the 4,000 into 80,000. And then I went to my buddy's dad banker when I was 15 and in Mohall, town of 800. And I'm like, hey, I need a loan for 1.2 million bucks to buy these apartments. And he's like, Andrew, it's pretty cool. You got 80 grand and you need a personal guarantee. You need a balance sheet. You need something more for down payment and collateral. So that's when I printed off that agreement and farming was good. And I just started knocking on doors and I went to one guy and I said, Hey, you give me the 300,000 bucks. I'll work for free. And we'll just be pro rata share. And he did it. And it worked out. 15 years old, North Dakota at the time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I know so, it's weird. Let's pit, let's stick there for a second because I don't think that there's been a period of time where I've even been necessarily liquid, like eighty thousand dollars. Every single time I get up to about fifty thousand dollars of liquidity of just like pure cash in the bank. Yeah. I have to go deploy it on something. And and that I'm just thinking back to me in high school, working a minimum wage job. I'm thinking back to college when I had a DJ company and I was still like paying for my school and everything. Okay. So walk us back with How are you raised to be able to have, because what the hell? (laughs) I was blessed with the best parents in the world. There's six of us. I'm one of six. We ran the farm. We had a couple of guys, but mostly just a family. And my dad was very analytical and both my parents were amazing, but we used to sit at the dinner table and my dad would throw out topics. And when he noticed one of us six heads, kids heads turn and sparkle in our eye and change in our voice, he knew that was something of interest. And then he would spend one-on-one time with us to nurture that. So for me, whenever he threw out grain markets or anything to do with money or business, since I was before I can remember, I was so intrigued. So he spent a lot of one-on-one time with me and gave me every opportunity he could give me to make that five an hour, whether it was helping market grain, run grain cart, combine. I worked at a local John Deere place washing equipment. Uh, he flew me out to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware when I was 14, 15 in the summers to work at a Chinese restaurant and a bed and breakfast to get some culture. And anyways, for all these experiences, I raised money, lucky timing in the stock market. And then when that hit the 80,000, I decided I wanted to do something bigger. And that's when I cashed it out and went and started to raise money for real estate. And that Abernathy Holdings was born that year. So walk me through how you came the idea of buying apartments at 15. Because right now, I talk with grown men who are 42. And they're talking about how they can't mentally get past the idea of just one house at a time, two houses, duplex, quad, at 16 unit, then finally get up there. It's like this imaginary hierarchy and path to success that they find. Yet you were 15 years old and you're like, okay, yeah, I'll grab a PG. I'll throw 80K down and let's rock and roll, man. Where's your broker? Yeah. <laughs> Jared and I at the time, because we, we started our own farm operation when I was in 10th grade. So I was about 16. And we started renting my grandpa's land. And then we also, we rented my grandpa's and dad's farm equipment and we'd haul it to South Dakota and custom combine to make a little arbitrage. 
And anyways, when I was coming back through Bismarck, back to the farm, that's when I found the apartment sign. They were for sale. And that's what triggered my idea. It wasn't even a, it was just kind of, man, those are for sale. Those look nice. I'm just driving back. And that's, and me, when I get my mind on something, it's game over. So when I got home, I bought those things with 30 days and I found the money, got the bank loan and did the whole thing. So what was the purchase? Walk us through that purchase. So it was a 1.25 million. We bought a 16 plex. It was eight, eight units and two buildings side by side. And then it was before the oil boom hit. The reasoning behind it, I'm a history buff nerd. And in the eighties, when the oil boom hit first time in North Dakota, Williston real estate inflated, then Bismarck, excuse me, then Minot inflated. And then Bismarck was the third. In 2010, 2009, Bismarck was hanging out like nothing was going on. And as the Bakken oil boom was roaring, Williston was crazy. Minot real estate was 90% inflated. So I just thought, well, if history repeats itself, Bismarck would be next. So we bought them. And two years later, the city offered us $2 million for them and we sold them. So we made a million dollars profit after equity build off of the 300000 down. And, and that was between you and your partner. Yeah, but your brother or my brother a little bit, and then this other guy that I drove. I had a beat up Lumina. Hmm. I just had my permit, and I drove an hour and a half to Crosby, and that's the guy that I convinced to give me the money. Okay, so walk us through your pitch to this guy, and also did this guy experience in apartments and was able to say, "Hey, this is a good deal. This is a bad deal," or were you just come hell or high water? I'm buying this because I can see the trends, and from history, it doesn't always repeat itself, but it rhymes. Yeah. So you were just come hell or high water. You're like, I'm making this happen. Yeah, he's a farmer. It does well, and I met him a couple times. And anyway, so I went to his place, and I was always the kid from ten years old on. Whenever there was a dinner, I would always go run ahead and sit right in the middle. And I would ask everybody at that table that was older, what did you do? What's your biggest mistake? And how did you become successful? So that was like my thing for five years before this. So he was one of those guys that I did that with at our lake place. And so he, you could tell he was intrigued by my interests. So I drove out there and I just said, I won't even say his name, but we'll just call him Bob. Bob, Bob. said, I have $80,000. I already put $20,000 down as earnest money and it's non-refundable. So I'm going to buy these apartments. I need $300,000 more and a personal guarantee. But here's what I'll do for you. I'm going to come in with my $80,000. I'm going to work for free. And if we lose eighty grand, it's mine, not yours. So the first $80,000 loss is mine. So basically, this is a no-risk situation. It's real estate. Your name's on the loan. And worst case scenario, you probably break even or make a little money, but you get me to work for free. And if you don't want to do it, then I'll ask, I'll go ask someone else. It was probably more polished than that. It's been a long time, but he just was said, it yes, more polished than that. Yeah. Maybe, was I it? don't remember. That's terrifying to think of a 15 year old being more polished than that at a dinner table. Sorry. <laughs> I need to get fast this. Okay. For people listening, if you ever think that you're smart or that you're different or that you're, you've got things a little bit figured out, start a podcast and meet new people from North Dakota because <laughs> will change how you think because holy crap, man, this is oh, freaking gets, awesome. So you make better. a million. So you're 16 <laughs> sitting on a million dollars. Yeah. I think by the time we sold, I was about 17. Okay. Yeah. So you were ancient by that point. Okay. Yeah, what happens I was, next? I was getting old. So then I got the bug, man. I was in. So we <laughs> sold these apartments and I went back to my buddy, Bob. And I said, you know what? That was amazing. I want to put it all back in. I'm going to give you 
um, 500,000 of it, even though you only probably, I think I should have only got like 250 or 300 of my, from my 80. So he gave yeah. me 500 of it. And he said, I'm going to leave my other 500 in and I want you to charge me this time. So I went and I set up a legit PPM. Uh, it cost me about $15,000. And I had no idea what that was. Private placement memorandum. I just said, what do I need? I was clueless. I was 16, 17. And I, he said, okay, well, how much do you want to raise? And I said, well, I'm going to put a million into the account and I want to go raise another 10 million bucks. And he's okay. The lawyer, he's like, okay, like what the heck's happening? I just go start knocking on doors. Farming was good. I raised $10 million in about eight months. Knocking on doors of farmers. Yeah. 50 to 100. North Dakota. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then I graduated high school. <laughs> All right. So anybody, okay. So people that are listening right now, if you're driving in your car to work and we talk about mindset and we talk about law of attraction and talk about all that good stuff. And so, yeah, anything is possible. You just have to be dumb enough to believe in yourself and stupid enough to act towards it. Yes, I would. I didn't even think a second of what was, what could have happened then. So, oh, so walk us. Okay. So let's zoom out a bit. So now yeah. you're already murdering it and you just graduated high school. So now I'm terrified to even ask you what the rest of your life looks like. You're probably doing triathlons for, for breakfast. So now I'm like, what <laughs> the hell? Get in better shape. Yeah, I should do that. <laughs> so where are you at today? What is your asset class? What's your flavor of the month? And let's walk backwards from that because now I'm, I'm extremely interested in everything. Or you can finish, you can keep going chronologically whatever your preference is. Yeah. I'm going to just, I'm going to throw out, I'm going to throw out a few peaks. I'm not going to be too detailed. Uh, got but it. when I was 20, so a couple of years after this, I got sent an article from my uncle and it was about the North Dakota billionaire. At the time he was 70, roughly Gary Theraldson. He had built hotels, sold them for billions of dollars, started with nothing in days in North Dakota. Anyways. So my uncle said, you should reach out to this guy. And again, he doesn't know me from Adam. I'm from Western North Dakota. This guy lives in Fargo, never doesn't know anything about me or anything at all. Yeah. So I call his office. I just Google his address. I call his office and the secretary says, hello. I'm like, hey, just Andrew Abernathy calling his Gary Theraldson around. And she says, no, who is this? I'm like, well, it's Andrew. I really just call him to pick his brain. Can I leave the message? So I left a message thinking he's never going to call me back. Two months later, I get a call from a cell phone. There's a Vegas number. So I answered it. I thought it was a telemarketer. So I was literally about to cuss him out, lose my number. But before I could say that, a voice came and says, Gary Theraldson. So I was like, oh, Gary. Oh right? This is thing, two right? months later. Yeah, two months later. And anyways, we got to know each other. I don't know what it is. He took a liking to me. It, we just, for years, just got to know each other. Finally, and I raised another, I don't know, 20, 30 million in my early 20s. I guess kept building real estate. But uh, I made my first loss in 2017. I I had 15% of our portfolio into an investment. And at that time in my life, I like to say I was good at a lot of things, but not great at anything. I hadn't really no identity. Generalist, yeah. Yeah. I was in retail, apartments, insurance company, equipment dealership. I just didn't know who I was. And yeah. we were making money always great. But in 17, we lost our on our first investment. We lost 10% of 10 or 15% of our portfolio. Had our first down year, and I was having a pie with Gary at the Village Inn, our usual stop. 
And he just said, Andrew, you're good at a lot of things, but not great at anything. He said, you need to focus. And it hurt, but it was honestly the turning point of my life. I went back home and I just had my first kid. I had my first kid at, no, I had my first kid in 18. So it was about that time. And I sit with my wife and I was just thinking hard. It was, uh, it was one of the low points in my life. That was that low, first world problems, but it was a low point. And sure. I started thinking about what do I want to do? Real estate. I know I want to do real estate. I have a knack for it. And but so I said assisted living, maybe I should do hotels like Gary did or all these things. I brought sure. them all to Gary and he's the same. So finally, I remember hearing Gary, all billionaires say, find a fragmented industry and consolidate it. So mm-hmm. I went out and I said, what real estate industries are fragmented? And the biggest one that popped up was self-storage. Uh, self-storage at the time was 95% mon pa owned and only 5% was run by the REITs, the public storage, the extra space storage, the big guys, the Marriott's Hilton's of storage. So I reached out to public storage and extra space and I found out that they just started a month before that allowing people to use their brands for the first time in history. So you could literally own a facility and it could be run and branded by the REITs, just like Marriott did in the 80s and the 70s. And that's what Gary did. That's what Gary made as well. It wasn't Theraldson Hotels. It was Marriott Hotels. So I went to Gary and I said, Gary, here's my idea. And he said, Andrew, that's your billion dollar idea. He said it right after my sentence. So I went back and I sold everything. And I went all into self-storage in 17. Wow. So... When you went all in on self-storage, you didn't have any mentors, anybody that you knew that was actually in self-storage. You're just like, again, come hell or high water. I'm going to figure it out. I've got the capital. Let's figure it out. Yep. So we liquidated everything. We had about a $40 million cash pile and we started building. And then I said, okay, I need metrics. Gary said, you need metrics. And I figured North Dakota didn't have the metrics I needed. I wanted to build class A self-storage with the public storage brand in the biggest cities in the U.S., I needed 100,000 people three mile. I needed 100,000 household income. I needed traffic. So I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona that year or the year after. And here we are. Okay. So then what is that first, what are those first couple of acquisitions look like from someone that is sitting on a $40 million war chest and you have no idea about self-storage or how to operate it? Yeah. What does that situation look like? Who do you call? Phone calls are made. What processes are followed at that point? I pulled out the Warren Buffett. It's not the how, it's the who. And And so I went out and I found a guy that's been in construction for 40, 50 years, built 250 Burger Kings for corporate. And I asked if he wanted to come on board and start and I could take his company over and we could build them. He'd run that. I brought in a guy that's been in storage for 15 years to run our development arm. And I kept our equipment dealership because my goal is vertical integration. Henry Ford all these billionaires, they own the process. So I own, we have an equipment dealership. So we supply all the equipment. We have our own construction company. We have our own garage door dealership. And I found a who for each of these. So our first acquisitions, I found my who's. I set my five-step metric and I acquired some lots in Arizona, which I would have bought a hundred more with the way prices have gone. And we started building and we only developed ground up. And we're, and so to fast forward a little bit, um, this next year will be the largest self-storage, pri- private self-storage developers in the world. We've got, a, I think we've got a, over a million square feet that we're going to be adding to our portfolio just in this next year alone on, on development, not acquisition. What was the five-step metric? It's uh, very simple. Monkey can follow it because it makes it for me. It's easy. <laughs> 100,000 population, three mile radius. 100,000 household income, three mile radius. 
We need 35 to 40,000 vehicles per day on the road with visibility to the site. We need about a two and a half, three acre site. We don't like to waste, we have to go vertical. And we need rates of about a buck 70 to a buck 80 a foot or more. So those were the main metrics we looked at. And there were some other things, competition per foot. We like landlocked. I'm willing to pay, we're paying two, $3 million per site. And these yeah. are two acre sites. And, and so we're building these things with owning the whole process. Like next year, we've got, next year we've got over $100 million in development in the works, ground breaks. And I think we're going to net on the savings, net of my 50 employees and everything that, to run our vertical companies. I think we're going to save about seven, seven million dollars. So on that, so we'll make in our seven million dollars myself and my partners just by owning the process. And then we get to own the asset too when it's done. So that's why you're going to continue to build the ground up as opposed to acquiring the mom and pop, like taking over and helping consolidate previous, like actually built shops. Correct. My actually goal is to build next to those because our facilities are insane. Just going to dwarf them. Yeah. I'll build my own problems. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. Let's take a pause here before we talk about your next plan of world domination. Because at this point, like, what can't you do? So let's break down this process a little bit. I want to dissect you mentally to a degree because you're a product of a perfect storm, essentially. You're a product of the parents that came in and they scratched the entrepreneurial itch. You had conversations about money. You had all that. And that's awesome. But people that are listening to this right now, like that's not a crush. They can apply that and they can simply change how they operate right now. So what's something that you can give to people listening to the show? And I'll tell you who they are. They're, people that are listening to the show are rock stars. They're killing it in their W-2. And they are on their way to work. They've already got some investments, but they're looking to make that next move to get pure financial freedom and be able to leave that job. Or it's that person that just built a company. And maybe this is an area that we can go on. They built the company, they left the job, but now their company is a job. And now they're working 100 hours a week as opposed to 40, and they also don't have freedom. So it all comes back to freedom. Talk to these people that are starting out and they can't fathom what you're even talking about on set perspective. Let's talk a little bit about the mindset and break that down a bit. And then we'll get back into the business. What's some advice you can give there? The biggest thing that I see is a lot of people spend their whole lives searching for the idea, right? Mm. The idea. And what people need to realize is there isn't the idea. There is hundreds of ideas and it's up to you to grab one of them and make it the idea. So that's what they always wait for. They wait for that. Just the wind's got to be blowing just right. And it falls in their lap. That's not the case. So make a list of a hundred ideas, close your eyes and just pick one and make it your idea. Okay. Once you do that, obviously you just need to start. And if that is a capital intensive idea, you can create engines. I think that's a rich dad, poor dad idea. Basically you need to create engines as a stepping stone. What I mean by that is I didn't jump into building $100 million in storage every year. Heck, each of our facilities is $15 million, and I need $5 million cash down on each. I didn't just start with that. I started out raising money and doing apartments. I started out with doing arbitrage on my grandparents' equipment and my dad's equipment. I had an apparel thing. I had some single-family homes. So start your engine. And it doesn't need to be your end goal because these are stepping stones. But you need a long-term vision. So that's how you get started. And then the, what happens is when you do get that engine started and you are in the rut, 
like you just explained on the latter part of your question. You're in the rut, you're working 50 hours a week or whatever it may be. And you are, so there's working in your business, on your business and above your business. You're still sitting there, still working in it. You're not even on it yet, let alone above it. So what happens there is your vision got capped. Rockefeller once said, the who works all day has no time to make money. Damn. And I want that one to sink in. Andrew, that was right. You looked me right in the eyes, man. Why'd you have that twinkle in your eye? You like you that? What? Repeat it again. Yeah. For the people. So Rockefeller said, the who works all day does not have time to actually make money. And that is what happens when you get caught in that rut, whether it's working for the man or working for yourself, you get caught. And a lot of people says, gosh, how do you sleep at night? What a big business. You must be so stressed out. And I said, actually, my belief is people that run and own smaller businesses are more stressed out, work harder than people that run larger businesses. It's a fact. So it is a misconstrued conception and getting bigger actually means working less. Now, I know there's risks and I know all of that, but also you need to make sure that you do what's right for you. I know people that run businesses that are in it 100% all the time. And if they were to work on it or above it, like I do, they would be bored. And that kind of leads back into our topic earlier. Yeah, you and I were talking and it's just there's so much free time that I guess I'm actually a pretty good case study for people that are listening because I'm essentially a newly fledged entrepreneur. Like I've got real estate and I did all the side hustle stuff while I was in corporate America, but I left corporate America in March. I left my corporate job and now I'm traveling around the world full time, working and building my media company and working on building this podcast and the whole brand around it. So it's different because you become, you start running in aren't necessarily Googleable anymore. Like, how do I work on my business, not in my business? What does that look like? So maybe give us some examples of what it looks like to work on your business or like you alluded to above your business. Yeah, it's especially coming from the farm. And I'm just going to do that example. So when I grew up, if you weren't doing something, you grab a broom. It's busy work. You do use busy work. You have to work. Yeah. Yeah. And what I've learned is actually my most, my best ideas, most creative ideas all come from boredom. I call it constructive boredom. So I do a lot of walks. Actually, they say walks help you think and think more efficiently. And so I don't fill my schedule. And there's a reason Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Gary Theraldson, they do not fill their schedules full. You don't need to make a thousand decisions a day. You just need to make a couple big ones. And so my day is spent on ideas and I work with my hoots. I have six hoots. Jesus had 12 disciples. I'm not as good as him. So I have six and that's my max. And then they have their hoots. I do not govern their management. They all manage their employees differently. But I do think I lead with a good example. And, uh, and they all have great teams that I'm honored to know that they all love their, their who's. And so I guess to answer your question, there really is no formula. No. It's something you have to live to understand. And my biggest thing for two years was feeling very lazy, unproductive because of what I was used to. And then after two years, I looked back and I realized that the most growth I've ever experienced came from those two years of boredom. Wow. I'm still learning it myself. So I'm not saying I have the answer, but it's... You've got some kind of answer, man. I could tell you that. So when you're walking... So th- these are all things that I'm experimenting with as well now, yeah. because I'm actually going in like pretty deep into psychological principles, like talking to your inner child, going through and deconstructing beliefs, stuff like that. That's the type of work I'm doing right now. And right. smiling. So I'm sure that's probably something that you're doing as well. Yes. And I am 
realizing that there is, and this phrase keeps popping up in all these books that I'm reading. So there's a reason that the phrase keeps popping up and I'll share it with everyone here. And it's that we all have this story that was told to us in childhood that work hard, like an honest man that deserves is a hard worker. Like you work hard, you get success. You don't work hard, you don't get success. And that's a belief that we've been ingrained with for our entire childhood. And then the question, I, I forget what book this is, but it's a reframing question to say, what if all of this was easy? Yeah. What if making millions and millions of dollars and running a multi-million dollar company was easy? What would that look like? Yeah. And I agree. Another thing I always like to say, I, I want to say this correctly in my mind, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to explain some thoughts, but what I've realized is that there is no billion dollar company that's been created with two hands. What happens is... never. These billion-dollar companies have thousands of sets of hands and one brain without with the hands idle at the top. And so the hard thing is being able to have idle hands because the contradiction of that is my grandpa always said the idle hands of the devil. So there is a you are flirting with a tough thing, whether it's alcohol or addictions or people with our kind of energies. They that's why you see a lot of these wealthy people go into these vices is because they're trying, I think, trying to, to fill the to void. Have, and so if you, but if, if you can master it, it's the strongest thing in the world. It's, it's an amazing power. And that's what I'm trying to master. I'm trying to learn how to just be happy with being, just being, just waking up and being, and not having tasks and, and floors to sweep, you might say. Yeah. I love that quote that you said from Rockefeller. That was so good. And so when you're taking these walks, I've, like I said, I've been implementing that now. I'm walking like an hour in the mornings. and But I find myself gravitating back towards podcasts and stuff like that. Like I'm listening to the All In podcast with and all of them now. And uh, I hope you guys are listening to the Action Academy. That'd be fantastic. Oh, but, I am. Yeah. But it's, do you, are you still, is that cheating almost? Or do you walk in silence and just ponder and be with your thoughts? Is it more meditative for you? Curious, because I'm trying to to deconstruct what you're doing because you're so good at what you do that you're not able to deconstruct it. So that's my job now. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I appreciate that. It's a mixture. And every day is different. I don't put myself in a box. So there's some days that I'm just like, I just need... And I for sure always spend 50 to 60, 70% of my walks silent. I love being with myself. And I say that out loud because a lot of people are afraid of being with themselves. I love it. And then the other 30% to 40%, I'm usually on the phone with my who's throwing out a bunch of ideas. Most of them are stupid. I'll get that one genius one and implementers and then podcasts and audiobooks. I, I can't read. I can read, but my problem is I'll read. <laughs> you heard it here first. I'm not even. I'm going to put that as the cold open to the show. Andrew Abernathy, I can't read. Welcome to the Action Academy podcast. Yeah, welcome. I have an issue with reading. I'll read a page or two and then I'll forget what I read because my mind is on a thousand things. But I'm really good with if I watch a movie, I watch a lot of documentaries to learn. And I do a lot Your of auditory audio. and visual. Yeah. Very visual learning. That's why I was such a bad student in school. I One, I didn't like school. And two, I just, I couldn't understand how to study. So I was very bad at school. But so yeah, that's my walks. It is mostly though being with myself, meditating, and then just thinking, dissecting, thinking. And I don't even go on my walks with a predetermined thought. I just, whatever comes to me. And sometimes it's just me just in silence, hearing the birds. 
Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, do you have any questions that you're trying to answer? I try my best to go on each walk with a with Clean a something answer, but I don't make it mandatory because usually my walk, something will come up. And, and so my, my job too, though, is trying not to get in the way of my who's. When Never. you such great who's, genius who's, smarter than you in each of their fields, my job is to make sure that now I'm managing people, not really processes. So that's another thing I think about is what can I do to make that guy's day? Or what can I do to say to spark something? How can I keep his energy up? I'm basically just a cheerleader yeah. and I'm fun to be around. I've been told and I try to be. I try to be very optimistic. Upbeat. I don't see it. I don't yeah, see it. I don't see it there. Yeah. And that, but that's why I've never had somebody leave. And I think that's really important. I actually did the same thing as you with my, one of my mentors, David Osborne is I cold emailed him. Dude was worth over a hundred million dollars and Love it. he was lived across the country. And I cold emailed him and said, I would uh, do anything he hated doing for free. Then I ended up getting an invite to a GoBundance event, which is a mastermind group. And then I went to the GoBundance event and then, that started a whole life-changing transformation for me. So I completely understand what you're saying. And now I've got the privilege to have some friendships with some other big hitters like Jeff Hoffman, like founder of Price Dom. He was on this show. He's a billionaire. Wow. And so there's so much value in having that level of mentor because they can talk to you at this level. And isn't it ironic that this is the advice that they give? Yes. What we're talking about right here. It's so simple. So I forgot to mention too, I think this is important. Two years ago, Gary finally invested with me. I finally convinced him. Big, very big. REAUM is going to be a little over a billion dollars here soon. That's a bank leverage. So about a quarter billion cash I've raised to date to give you an update. So I've raised $250 million to date at 28. And we'll have about 750 to 800 million in bank debt on that, all in self-storage. But one thing I do want to share is I asked... When I was trying to figure out a model that I could get Gary to invest in, and I want to share this with people, if you're looking to get a very wealthy individual, 100 million plus invested, there's things that they look for and I want to share. It is something that's scalable, something that is simple and easy to understand. So what I mean by that is Gary would have never invested in me if I was building storage that was called Andrew Storage. Gary wanted me to be with the biggest and the best brands possible. So public storage, it was the largest by two to the second. Gary wanted me to be focused. So I said, I'm going to be the best at building, developing, and owning, and we will pass the management to public storage and use their brand. And then the third thing was he didn't want any distractions. Now, I hear a lot of people are always overcomplicating things. I'm going to, for example, I'm going to start a storage unit. We're going to do, we're going to sell propane. We're going to sell trailers. We're going to do this or that. No. My model to Gary was simple. We are just going to do self-storage. Our offices will be the smallest in the industry, kiosks soon. And we will print these things out. It's a printable, scalable, easy model. And that's I know it sounds simple, but I just wanted to bring it up. If you are going to go do a pitch, make sure it's scalable and simple. Yeah, because the irony is everything. everybody that goes to those people tries to present them with the sexiest, newest thing. Yeah. And it's just... There's no point like simplicity and skill kill stupidity because it's hard to mess up. Yes. And that's the difference because guys like that are in a different season than we are. So yeah. we're in what's called the hunt. Guys like that are in preservation. Correct. Morgan Housel quote, I met him. He should, I'm talking with him. He should be hopefully coming on the show. He wrote the book, psychology of money. 
And he talks about in the book where he's don't invest money that you have and need for things that you don't have and don't need. Yes. That makes so much sense. Yep. And to wrap back, to circle back to the walk conversation that you and I were just having, David told me a quote that sticks with me. And the quote is this, it goes, if you continue asking the right questions to the right people, you will get the answers that you're looking for yep. when the time is correct. But the key is to ask the right questions because you have to be careful with the, qu- the questions you ask because if you're asking the wrong questions, you'll get answers the, to those. Yep. And so you're asking the right questions. And the other interesting thing too is the biggest, my biggest enemy, and it's funny to say, is actually now at this point in my life, it's my entrepreneurial self. And what I mean by that is when you find a formula, you don't feel like you're gambling. Because it's not. There's gambling and there's investing. There's speculating, there's investing. There's two different things. So my biggest issue right now, and it's not even an issue, but is I need to make sure that I focus on the formula that's working for the rest of my life. And that's the toughest thing as an entrepreneur because we are born to notice every opportunity in everyday life. And it's hard for me to put the blinders up. I'm not saying there isn't any other good ideas. I'm not. But what I'm saying is when you pick your idea to make it the idea, That'll be your biggest issue. And that's when people fail. My biggest mistake in 17 was from being unfocused, out of my knitting. No, I didn't have a purpose, no no focus. And that's what I never want to go back to. So I literally spend every day making sure that I don't do that ever again. And that's hard. Yeah, but you had to act your way to that. Oh, yeah. Don't skip steps. I'm just saying when you do get there and mm-hmm. get that formula down, stick and with it. Good and you have your who's. Then all of a sudden, the devil starts tapping at your door again. Like, hey, look at this. Look at that. Look at this. And I guess hard. You got to say, you got to get to saying no. It's hard. It's really hard. And that's why you have the Warren Buffetts where they're like, hey, they have all these new things like technology he won't invest in, crypto he won't invest in. And he missed out on a lot of stuff. But yeah. that was like his, this is where his bread and butter. Yeah, circle of competence. And I guarantee you're going to miss out on a lot of good stuff. You see so many people that, Keep and there are people out there that are good at it. And again, I'm just talking about me. I'm a Gary Theraldson, Warren Buffett type. That's my mentality. When I was invested in seven things, I was less happy than I am now invested in one thing. So that's me. So again, there are formulas for each and every personality out there. And mine may not be fit for you, but if you're like me, then this works. I'm the happiest I've ever been with one thing. But there are temptations and it's hard. I think your way is the way to do it. I think everyone else is just beating around the on their journey to figure out how to get to where you're at right now, philosophically. Because Brandon Turner's got a really good quote where he's talking about building that bridge to Success Island. And you've got Success Island out there and you're working really hard on that bridge. And you go back to start building another bridge and then go back to start building another bridge. And all of a sudden, you've got last bridges out in the middle of the ocean that don't do anything. I like that a lot. That really summarizes what I said very well. That's great. Guys, five-star rating and review on the podcast. Five-star yeah, rating that was and review. Good. That was good. I like that. Yeah. Let's finish up this conversation because I'm going to ask you what your next three-year vision is because by the hell, I'll vote for you for president. But <laughs> what? give some advice on attracting and partnering with rock star who's because yeah. that's the million, that's the billion-dollar question that people need to answer isn't, what should I invest in? What should I do? Because you didn't know any of that. You didn't know how to invest in apartments or you didn't even really care. 
you just really cared about capital and the game of acquiring capital and then finding the people that were really good once you had the capital to deploy it with yep. for them to run it. Correct. And there's a lot of rock stars out there. Most of the rock star who's out there are missing one thing, and that's a capability to have access to capital. And that is something that I was very good at. And how I found my who's was back when I said my dad would, parents would sit at the table and look for passion, sparkling your eye, changing your voice. That's in me. So I look for passion. You cannot teach passion. Passion only comes with it. So when I was looking for a storage guy, I wanted the guy that would be at a dinner table and prefer to talk about storage over anything else. And I wanted to see, I wanted to see and feel what, what I feel with what I do. I wanted to see and feel that with that construction, equipment, garage doors. So passion's number one. And then the other thing is I really wanted to find someone in their 40s. I think that the 40s, they've made some mistakes. They're ready to focus and they've still got 20 plus years left. So all of my who's or most of them are on their 40s. And then the other thing was that we can leave the ego at the door. Our team is very, we can walk into a room. We can all leave our egos at the door, come up with a decision together, whether it's yours or not, and be happy. So those are my main things. I want to be able to hang out with these people and not think they're douches. And so passion, but passion was huge. I want them to love what they do. So where did you find the guy that was super passionate about self-storage? Were you going self-storage facilities and seeing who was just like laying out on the bench outside or no that's a good that's a good point so my my partner matt helverson he this guy's sister babysat him when he was younger he matt's 32 so not much older than me and he's hey this guy nate's his name his sister used to babysit me he's been in storage he's 40 at the time he was like 30 late 30s he's been in storage 15 years andrew and i know we're getting into storage and we need a who i'm like he's he might be it so we go and meet up at this freaking rundown Chinese restaurant. I don't know why, but anyways, we meet with them. And oh, I saw it right away. It was the easiest thing ever. I offered him a job after it was done. I said, you want to come work with us? And he did part-time and he came full-time a year later. It, passion is the easiest thing to see. For me, it is. I think it's just so easy. So it, that one fell into place. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. The irony is for me, like I... I used to view myself as a real estate guy that happened to start up a podcast. That started up this podcast. And I realized I'm a podcast guy that happens to do real estate. I love it. Because this is my thing. Like, I'm going to make yep. this show one of the largest, if not the largest podcast in the world. That's Let's what I'm going to go. do. That's what I like to so, Think big. There's nobody. So here's my thing. And this is exactly the reason I'm saying this and using this as an example is because of a, a demonstration of the principles that you're talking about. So I look at, and I look at all these shows, right? There's a business show for everything. Like everywhere, there's a business show. There's It's the most saturated category that there is in podcasting. And I look at it and 80% of the shows are a side project. It's true. They're a throwaway. It's just something that they do just to do because it's cool and it's sexy right now. But for me, like this is like everything for me. I love it. I love this. So I'll do, and but here's the cool thing, right? I'm like, so everyone goes through all this effort and energy to attract, get guests of super high caliber and quality. But like exactly what you just said, it's like when you have on the flip side of the equation, when you have the passion, there's a magnetism that attracts 
other people that have a passion. It doesn't necessarily need to be in the same thing. Your passion is self-storage or who's, and my passion is podcasting, but there's a gravity there. There's a magnetism that pulls us together because you're kindred spirits. Yes. And then all of a sudden, so now I don't have any problems with this show. That's why I can do five episodes a week and have every single thing be quality. Yep. Because of that. And I'm not saying this just because I'm on your show, but I do mean this. You by far have I've been one of the best podcasts, if not the so keep that, that I've ever been on. Well, I'll mess it up. Don't worry. No, when, <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to the balance of questions, each of us talking, when it comes to how you pull the story out of someone, when it comes to your voice, your likability, your energy, and your passion, like you just said. And I, and I really do. And I don't just say that. So I have no doubt you will be the largest podcast ever. And I'm just honored I get to be on your show. Appreciate that, buddy. I'll send you that $30 on Venmo we talked about. Yeah, there you go. I was happy to say that. (laughs) Oh, man. So what am I not asking you that I should? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. That's a good question. You know what? I'm really trying to figure out because success is more than just money. Success is a balance of health, family, maybe religion, if that's your thing, and all of it. So I'm really trying to make sure that I've got three boys under five and a beautiful wife. And I am trying to make sure that I can be everything I need to be to them present and everything I need to be to my who's and everything I need to be to everybody around me. And that's hard. And that's a lot. So I'm trying to figure out how to live a balanced life. And again, I really don't have any point to that, that ramble. I'm just saying, I think that's what I'm working on next. And that's step number two. Cause I think the formula is set now, the engine. Now I just need to not touch any buttons. Ah, gosh. Again, there really wasn't a point there, but that's kind of what I'm working on next. Every ramble has a point. Yeah. We just don't know what it is in the moment. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, what I keep seeing over and over again is I get the privilege of seeing commonalities between people that come on because this is what I do all the time is just talk to people that are super successful. And it's just how we're wired is to solve problems to grow so it's not really a monetary thing it's about just progressing towards a a goal that's the challenge that you're running into right now because you have accomplished all these things but now it's getting simple to use some type of stimulus outside but it has to be something outside of your business for you to avoid self-sabotaging your business oh boy you are amazing we gotta talk way more Dude, we can be best friends. It's okay yeah, with we, me. We're going to be. You just <laughs> nailed it. Like, I am not kidding. My gosh, I'm turning red. That was amazing. I've never... So that's where I'm at in my life. Yeah, you just nailed it. It's crazy because it's... Wow. Like, I'm over here in paradise and yeah. I have anxiety. Yeah. So people listening to the show and talk about everything that we go through and it's, oh, it must be nice to be in Barcelona, to be finishing up a month in the Greek islands and talk about your anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety, man, because it's, you're like, the comparison starts coming up where it's not even necessarily with others. It's the comparison with the best version of you to where there's a fear that if you aren't working all the time, that you will have had wasted potential. Yeah. (laughs) You're awesome. Yeah. So. And we're getting off. Hopefully you guys are resonating with this because we're just going to leave it in the show because of how much this is resonating between us. It was raw. raw It's insane. It's insane because it's like at the end of the day, I think what we're really all pursuing, if you really break it down and boil it down, no matter what you're doing and what you're building, it's just really 
are you laying your head on the pillow at night, every single night and saying, I did the best that I could do today? Exactly. That's, That's what exactly. it comes down to. Exactly. And I, everything you said is accurate. And that's my new goal is to find the answer. I'm not saying I don't have it. Like life is good. I'm great. It's just some days like this morning, I'll be honest this morning, I went on the treadmill and just ran as quick as I could because I have this in my, I'm like, I need, I want to be bigger and like just this energy, but there's nothing I can do. We're growing great and everything's perfect, but I don't know. the. I don't know. I don't know. Looks like you are in a season of navigation, my friend. I am. And I'm excited to, I'm excited to figure it out and hopefully come out the other side. I know I'll come out on the other side, a better person. I know I will. There we go. I think we'll, I think there, I think we've said everything we need to say, man. I think this is it. So what we'll do is we'll just continue having checkpoints with your world domination because every single person that's listening to this, I know that there's no way in hell that they've logged off or logged out (laughs) of this conversation. Let's just keep doing checkpoints and keep seeing what happens and how it's growing and what works, what doesn't work. And let's just keep in touch and stay on this show because this is super interesting, especially with both of our time horizon because we're the same age. Yes. And we need to talk more outside of this. Uh, we could be some kindred spirits. Cool, cool. With that, we will leave it. This has been Andrew Abernathy taking over the world and Brian Lubin with the Action Academy Podcast signing off. Thank you.